Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes the core members of Sin Factory Burlesque, producers and performers Mary Sin, Sarah Tops, and Johnny Caligula, and performer Dick Move. All hailing from New York, New York, the guests share their stories on how Sin Factory started and how each member joined the group. Mary chats about the other shows she's produced, including Original Sin and Epic Wind Burlesque. Dick and Johnny chat about how they found their dynamic in sharing the stage as hosts, and they all share some of their favorite moments from performing at the Beer Baron in Washington, D.C., their self-proclaimed home away from home. And so, from the future of Sin Factory to their connections in the industry, here's presenting Matt Storm and Sin Factory Burlesque. And welcome to Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. I have the benefit of having Sin Factory Burlesque here today. Um, all of the members that I adore, um, three of their producers and a performer. And um, why don't you guys go around and introduce yourselves? Uh, hi, I'm Johnny Caligula, a producer, host, performer, and special fun fact, I once peed right next to world-famous comic book artist Neil Adams. <laughs> you know, the guy that had Green Arrow's psychic do heroin. Okay. <laughs> Tough act to follow. <laughs> True. Uh, I'm Mary Sin, um, one of the founding members and producer of uh, Sin Factory and a number of other things, and I collect bizarre jobs. All right. Hi, I'm Sarah Tops. I'm also a producer of Sin Factory. Um, fun fact about me, I didn't realize my name was a double entendre when I took it because I had one hour to come up with it before the first podcast I was ever on. Uh, my name is Dick Move. I am a steady performer and host within Sin Factory due to nepotism and proximity. And uh, uh, Mary Sin is, in fact, the one who bestowed my performing name on me, and I am a recovering dinosaur. <laughs> recovering dinosaur? Well, I, I spent three years as a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and uh, I, I no longer am able to, so I'm... I'm one day at a time, Matt. Well, One right, day at a time. Fair. I try not to judge. We try to be equal opportunists here. But seriously, guys, I'm glad that you're here. Um, I, of course, had Johnny on the Crash Chords podcast. We took on Chance the Rapper, which I enjoyed uh, having on our show. Um, but uh, I've been a fan of all of your works individually and had met you and probably got to know you guys best at uh, Nerdlesque Fest the mm -hmm. most recent year because my wife was away when I was a sad panda. But you guys <laughs> you, coddled me. You definitely me. were. I was. But you guys coddled me and took care of me and I appreciated it. And we've been friends since. Um, I mean, me and Sarah have been friends forever now. It's old hat. Um, but uh, I guess the best place to start with this interview um, is how Sin Factory came to be. Um, I know, Mary, that you had produced tons of other shows like Epic Wind Burlesque and you had um, Original Sin. Um, and so I guess maybe a little bit of a little bit of your burlesque history and what led you to creating Sin Factory. Um, well, I guess I... I started producing because I was too shy to ask people to book me, um, <laughs> which was a bad plan because then I had to ask people to be in my show. So I didn't think it through. Um, but I had so much fun that I just could not stop. <laughs> um, 
And Sin Factory began because I was working on Epic Win uh, with Sarah, and I didn't know her terribly well, but she seemed to be good at everything I was bad at. That seems to be the case <laughs> with her for yeah. most people. Um, and I wanted to do a Shakespeare show, and I wanted it to be scripted, and I wanted people like actually performing Shakespeare, and I knew that would require rehearsals and at least one like big group rehearsal. And the thought of scheduling that seemed impossible. Uh, so I was like, Sarah could do that. She's really good at it. And I don't have money to give her, but maybe she'll be nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I received a Facebook message from the Mary Sin. Yes. <laughs> who I, I had... didn't know I was a the. Yeah. yeah no. I so I started off as an audience member who then ended up in the producing sphere with Epic Win as well and we were like kind of we knew each other but I was producing different shows than you were and so we, we kind of knew each other in passing. And I would like to point out that Sarah's path from audience member to producer was sort of the opposite um emotional issue of, of Mary in that she couldn't not say hey I can do a better job than this person and being told all right so she started working as a <laughs> technician and then as a producer. Uh, yeah, so it yeah, it just kind of happened. Sorry, but so I get side. this I get, I get this Facebook message being like, "Hey, so I know we know each other from Nerdy Burlesque, but I want to do this um well, it's Shakespeare, and I don't know if you like Shakespeare, but like I need to make a rehearsal or two and I don't know what to do, and I'm sitting here on the other side with Dick going, "Okay, do I play it cool?" <laughs> and say, "Well, maybe I could do this with you, or do I just word vomit back via Facebook Messenger about how my degree is in Shakespeare on film, it's the thing that I am most nerdy about in all the world, and as an equity stage manager, this is, putting together rehearsals is literally the thing that I do. Yeah, because it was literally like, <laughs> a group rehearsal. Yeah, it was, it was one. Do. Like, it was not... Like, for you, it was not insurmountable, but it sounded terrifying to me. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give everybody on the podcast uh, one guess as to which tactic I went with. <laughs> it was definitely the word vomit, and it I think... It was great. Because <laughs> then we got to be, be like, oh my god, I love Shakespeare! Shakespeare's so cool! Please! For, for the audio listeners, as this is an oh, audio yes. podcast, they <laughs> both uh, Sarah Topps and Maryson flailed like fangirls. Yeah. They haven't wildly. stopped flailing since. No. Yeah, no, I, that's definitely how that went. Um, and so was the Shakespeare show the first official Sin Factory show? Uh, I think it was, yeah. The name was even back then? Yeah, no, think, it was Sin yeah, Factory Presents yeah. Bardlesque the first time. Uh, yeah. We did it at the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the other thing that you asked me to do was to tech the show for oh, you. Right. You wanted, like, cues at times in the script. Like with lights and stuff? Like an actual theater thing? <laughs> Again, literally the thing that I did. And so I was I was so excited because for me, this was a great way to bring what I was doing in my muggle life into burlesque. And it made me feel useful since at that point I wasn't doing acts, I wasn't kittening, I wasn't anything. I was just kind of producing and running sound some. I was like, oh good, a place for me in burlesque. <laughs> <laughs> and occasionally I still feel that way. It's funny you bring up the Nerdlesque Festival. I, I do the same thing there. Right. I, I shadowy overlord for them and I tech everybody's acts and make it happen and make sure people get to stage and all of that stuff. And that's really where I'm most comfortable. But I, it was, yeah. yeah. You're really good at making things happen and I'm really good at imagining things. <laughs> Which is great because I don't I don't imagine things. I just that's, want to help other people. That's not true. I call shenanigans on that. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we've had conversations that reflect otherwise. Well, it's funny because I think Nerdlesque Fest, the first one that I did, 
um, was uh, when I'd first met you and Dick, mm -hmm. and we had become friends then. And I'd known Johnny just through, nebulously through the burlesque scene, but Mary was still the Mary Sin. I'd never really met her. It wasn't <laughs> no, until I think, I think it was Nerdlesque Fest the following year when we, you pretty much had me tag along with you all day because my wife was away and I was a mope. And I got to actually sit down and talk with Mary and like have a conversation. It's like, oh my God, I'm talking to Mary Sin. This is amazing. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think. I've had a similar feeling about burlesque. Like I always felt like I was kind of like, um, you know, an imposter in the in the community because I was just DJing a few shows and that's not that hard. And now I'm DJing for multiple shows and doing things and people rely on me. And I think it's funny how people kind of get their foot in burlesque and how they kind of start is not always just like, I'm gonna take my clothes off. I mean, sometimes it's that, but sometimes it's something else that kind of leads you to it. It's what most people imagine it is, but it rarely is in my experience. Yeah, um, and so uh, shifting gears a little bit to, to Dick, so you said that you weren't always a performer with uh, Sin Factory. How did you get involved, besides nepotism, with Sin Factory? Uh, it was mostly nepotism, actually. Um, I, I, I think I, my first bits of burlesque performance or on-stage presence was, in fact, through Epic Win Burlesque as well, in much the same way as... Because I, I sort of alluded to it, but Sarah went to an Epic Win show, and the person they had running the sound messed up the same cue for one performer. For nasty. To, for nasty canasta of all people, twice. Thank goodness it was nasty because she handled it like a pro. Of course, as she uh, does always. As yeah. she does always, the nasty canasta. Yes, she's another one. It, uh, yes, the, the definite articles as it were. <laughs> and Sarah went up to one of the other producers and said, hey, not to tell anybody how to do their job. But, but I'm going to tell you how to do that. But if you job. want someone to play their cue on cue with the right cue, I can do that. <laughs> and she was responded with, with great. Do it tomorrow. And she did. And it's very funny because Sarah has that sort of um, no fear attitude about these sort of things, about stepping up, about making the chaotic happen, people having crazy ideas, and then actually, uh, no, no, but this is how we do it. And no, no, we can't actually afford that. No, no, that's actually illegal. <laughs> um, these are all conversations that have happened. you usually have to say to me. Not to you. Not to you. <laughs> to other people, other yes. Other people, definitely. We have fire codes for a reason, sir. <laughs> Dear yes. God. Um, so, but which is very funny because my background is a lot more in sound and in tech and everything else. So a few times when Sarah couldn't do it, I did. Mm. And so I kind of came in on that, and I didn't see a place for myself originally as a burlesque performer, mm -hmm. and I thought I would kind of have a hand in as a host. And because I do have some sideshow skills, um, I juggle, um, my sleight of hand is terrible, but mm -hmm. if I needed to shore it up, I'm sure I could cram something, and just whatever have you. And that's kind of how it started. I was brought in as a host when Epic Win had to double book one of their nights. They had a basically contractual obligation show <laughs> at the uh, Eureka Cafe. For those of you at home who can't see Mary and I cringing, remembering this night. I think I think they could feel the cringing. Yeah, yeah I not, can. Not our finest. Nope. Uh, it happened. We all time. did our best, and so I hosted then and. Sort of when the Sin Factory show started going to Washington, D.C., it was a big matter of, well, let's take people that, that we know and we know that we can have in a car with us for several hours at a time because we road trip it. Yeah. And Sarah knows she can trust me, and um, if anybody didn't want to hear me talk, she could just shut me up. <laughs> That's, that is the power of Sarah. But 
So I started hosting, and from there, um, it was the band book show that we did that I don't remember if you encouraged me or I decided or that it was just I, a... I think you may have said like, oh, what if I did a Catch-22 number? I was like, yes, do that. Yeah. <laughs> do Please do a Catch-22. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah, I don't, and, and exactly, like... The exact start of that feels murky to me, but there was definitely, I knew it was, it was Catch-22. I just looked at a list of banned books and went, I can work with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't have an idea. I just went, I can do that. I know that book. Um, <laughs> and the part that Dick is leaving out is that he is extraordinarily talented. Yes. So, Obscenely talented. Yeah, and as a... Johnny's mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, all you have time. all the talents. It's like, oh yeah, well, it's a good thing like Dick can host and like perform and dance and sing and play music and work tech and edit audio. And, and juggle. <laughs> and juggle and like, what is my purpose? Why do you need a Johnny? You have a dick. <laughs> I mean, I feel like everybody needs their Johnny and their dick. <laughs> Personally, you know, yeah, I mean, it's not a matter of there being one solution <laughs> there to multiple. every situation. Sometimes <laughs> you need more than one solution. But <sighs> you said that like a double entendre, and I was trying to figure out what the sex pun was. I'm like, no, wait, that's just sexy tone of voice. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> the dick weird An- story. Another one. Sexy tone of voice. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we had to title his biography, that would be it. I feel no, like. I, well, it's either that or resonant and confused, <laughs> which is also fairly accurate, I'd say. You know? Yeah. So I guess after the band book show, you did most of the hosting for us for a while on those tours. Um, partially, it was helpful because um, then I wasn't the only one driving since yes. it's our car. Well, that's true. Well, and I mean, actually. To be fair, I did a little bit of hosting before that show. Yeah, you did. But I was definitely struggling with... Because when you host in burlesque, you are expected to take an act slot as well. That doesn't necessarily need a to be... A lot of times. A, a lot of times. You don't, unless you have a stellar bill and everything else, which, again, we had five seats in a car. Um, we were doubling up on acts with the same performer anyway. Usually Mary would open and close the show. So having the host do an act was kind of, that was a non-negotiable. That kind of had to happen. So finding something to do that was, I, I, I felt like I was grasping it at straws. And finally, when the band book show came up, it felt like something where, ooh, I think I can do something here. And while... That definitely uh, had a lot of hallmarks of Baby's first burlesque act, uh, which is why I don't do it anymore. No, no, uh, you call it retired. You've retired that act. I don't do it anymore. It's dead. <laughs> you retired awesome. it like Logan's Run. Uh, we, we, we'd have uh, burned it in effigy, but I really like that jumpsuit. Also, um, Sarah, like, brained you the first time you did. Oh, my God, oh! that's right. So, fun. Th- this is... Uh, One of the great things, and I wanted to mention this before, about being able to have shows like when Mary asked Sarah about doing the Bardlesque show and having a more, um, having a little more of a tech plot going on is most of the time when you do a show, you don't work close with the stage kitten and you don't really know the person who's running the sound. So the most you get is put my things here or don't set anything up and um, please press play when I stop moving on stage or on intro. And that's about it. Um, but Sarah and I live together. Sarah was the stage kitten for that show. And Catch-22, the whole the whole point of the act was, if you haven't read the book, um, the main character, Yosarian, is just trying to survive despite everything trying to kill him. Uh, one way or the other, whether it really is or not, he sees it that way. And... I ended the act as sort of an homage to the book with the very end of the story where he is chased um, basically out of story, off screen, everything else by a prostitute attacking him um, 
Well, I believe she was uh, she was attacking him with a knife or something, but there was an earlier incident where she was attacking somebody else with her shoe. And this was a whole big thing. And so we end the act with Sarah chasing me around the stage with her shoe, like one heel on, the other in her hand. I'm going to interrupt you for two seconds here and mention <laughs> that while Dick and I live together and are married and are wonderful partners in a lot of things, Dick does not let me see his acts before they go on stage, which means we had no rehearsal for this part. You can resume, dear. I did, however, <laughs> talk her idea. through this segment of the act. Talking it through and rehearsing it, in fact, doing a fight call, are very different. I would also like to point out at this point that Sarah Tops, my wife, <laughs> is a... Second degree, I'm sorry, second Dan black belt in Taekwondo and has on several occasions um, pointed out, nay bragged, about her ability to set distance and not hit somebody in, say, demonstrating a blow. And she has done this to me. As a, I can in, punch to within one inch of your face. At full, at full speed. Yeah, but this was different. This was a shoe. You don't practice with those in Taekwondo. In fact, those aren't in the room. You take half a step back. And you I also, also can't see it at home right now, but Sarah just did the most amazing blow and just stopped right in front of Dick's face. It was amazing. I should backflip. Okay. Anyway, it was great. <laughs> Gotta love an audio medium. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Johnny. Um, and so, what, I mean, the punchline has been spoiled, which is fine, because then we can take our all the time in the world pointing out how we got here. And yes, Sarah, in fact, not only hit me, she clocked me and drew blood <laughs> and drew blood it was kind of amazing and you know what it made every subsequent act it has made every subsequent act and in fact makes me right now feel so much better because <laughs> i remember feeling and i think i even said this on stage it can only get better from here and interestingly enough it kind of set the dynamic for you hosting and me kittening because yes. after that point where the kitten hit you in the head with her heel and drew blood. How do you not continue to talk to the stage kitten after that point, making her feel absolutely terrible <laughs> for hurting you? So from that point forward, I really think that all of the shows before Johnny started hosting as well, we really worked out a lot of bits and made it so that even more than just being a stage kitten, I was kind of like assistant host almost. I didn't really talk, but there were still... You you, you were a Harpo kind of yes. thing uh, yes. to the whole thing. Yeah, there and was a, a great dynamic to watch that made it more entertaining. Yeah. And we tried to tie our shows together because, mm -hmm. you know, I, most burlesque shows, you hire a bunch of performers, they come in, they do their self-contained act, and they leave. We did the same thing, and then we got in a car for four hours. <laughs> and, and we tried to amuse ourselves, and a lot of times that would be by coming up with bits and things to do about the show and pull the show together. And that happened even more once Johnny started hosting with us, too. It, it was much easier for, because before that, it was me, Sarah, Mary, and up to two performers that we brought with us. We also worked worked at work with several DC performers, but there was a few more of that same, hey, we really like and respect you and can stand being in a car with you for several hours and, in fact, would like to spend several hours with you in a car. Mm -hmm. And... That was more of a talking about life, the universe, and everything. But once Johnny started riding in the car with us, that is four people in a possible five-seater that um, are all invested in the production of the show. Not just being there, not just uh, showing up and doing their best. In the production, in the conception, inception, execution of the show. And so, Johnny, I know that you mentioned on, on the other show... Um 
on the Crash Course podcast, how you kind of got started in burlesque. But maybe tell the audience a little bit uh, how you got started with with Sin Factory. Uh, I would say Sin Factory was definitely a thing where you realized you needed more hands on deck, especially yeah. because it was very. Uh, I started. I basically did the apprenticeship show where I just assisted Sarah stage managing and did nothing else. It was and, the most adorable thing, by the way. <laughs> it, like, you, you were, were like so a puppy. eager. You were so eager. And like, I... I was also in a three-piece suit and a bowler hat. Yes, yes. you were adorable also. Um, yes. But it was very funny to me because I've never had that before. In my muggle jobs, I usually hire assistants and I have this stuff. And one of the things I like about PAs and assistants on other jobs is for them to be standing by ready for me to give them things to do. In burlesque, I'm doing everything. Yeah. I'm getting the things to the sound person. I'm making sure everybody has their props. I'm sweeping the stage to make sure there's no glass on it again. And I'm, you know, doing all those things. And so you're, you're kind of just like following around being like, so what are you going to do next? And I was like, oh, I was going to, okay, all right, yeah, let's do this. Okay, here we go. So that was your apprenticeship show. <laughs> and then, and the main reason we did the apprenticeship show is because the next show, uh, Sarah and Dick were unavailable. Yeah, I was I, in my muggle job as an event producer. I had some terrible show a, a event that I had to work overnight, the two night. It just it wasn't possible for me to go down, and of course the whole time I'm sitting there being like, Mary's gonna realize she doesn't need me. I don't. I'm not gonna be part of Sin Factory. This is that terrible. Is never <laughs> ever ever going to happen. If I could like business marry you, I would. I mean, I feel like is that, that is a thing you could do. Isn't that an LLC? Right? Isn't that <laughs> probably? Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. I I mean, I was also working 18 hour days and kind of delirious and just so upset Fair. that. Everything was going to go so right without me. And you know, and rem- that was the night when everything went wrong. Like, <laughs> everything went wrong. Lefty Lucy fell off stage. Iris during explo- her act. During her act. But the, it, Lefty being Lefty managed to play that off like it was a part of the act. Yeah. And we didn't realize she hurt herself until it was the ride back. And she was yeah. like, no, my back is killing me. I don't have any painkillers of any sort. Can you please drive me directly to my apartment? Yeah. We were in a car for four hours with her, like, with a... Like, in, her, in serious back. back pain. Irish Explosion also fell uh, walking up to Magdalena Fox's apartment, which took her, like, two hours to get to, involving a train never showing up, a cab breaking down while she was in it, the second cab, and then the fall. Then Magdalena Fox got a $90 parking ticket on uh, the way to speeding D.C. Ticket. Speed, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Car, beep, beep. I don't know how they work. <laughs> car ticket. Car, car, car go bad times. Yes. Exactly. Cop no lakey. Orange paper. And Magdalena Fox was getting sick. Oh, and she like had the full-blown flu when she was dry. Like, yeah. Like, as soon as the show was over, something swished in her body, and she just had the flu. Yeah. Like she was sick as fuck and then drove us four hours in the middle of the night. Like, we turned a profit. Uh, Liberty Rose did my makeup. Also, this was my first act. Oh, and then right. I learned the hard way. Oh, don't come up with some dumb face appliances that you can't see through mm. if you need to also be doing stage managing. Yeah. <laughs> also, the music got fucked up for Liberty Rose's act. Like, it was just a disaster. We had to download the track while Iris Explosion filled time. Yeah. Well, Iris Explosion, I think, talked about, like, G-spot orgasms. It was fantastic. I mean, she's good at uh, talking about that. Yeah. Uh, But she definitely, like, I think we were, she was down to her last bit of pocket material, Mm -hmm. and then we fixed the song. Yeah. So, I'm at home thinking that all these, that the show is going to be amazing and they're not going to need me. And then they come and, and then and, I was like, Sarah, I need you. 
that I like accidentally wished this on you them. Bad juju <laughs> the show. Um, but from the audience perspective, from what I understand from our regulars, nobody knew things were nearly as wrong as they were. Oh yeah, with the exception of the music getting fucked up, I don't think anybody noticed anything going wrong. Everybody had a fantastic time. It was a good show. And, well, yeah. and we also like we and like. Sin Factory as a team, like, we found, like, a really good kitten to take your place. Uh, Iris was a great host. Yeah. Uh, this was before I started hosting, and everyone did the sensible thing and said, no, Johnny, don't do your first act and also and host. host that show and also stage man without Sarah because you will die. <laughs> because this illustrates an excellent thing. Sarah was worried that the show would go on without her and could continue to go on without her. This illustrates that the show can go on without Sarah. <laughs> It, but, however, cannot continue. <laughs> we all can do it once. <laughs> it's just better if we don't. It, it, it's it's that great division of labor. It's a wonderful, it, like you were saying, finding your place in burlesque and in production. Well, and it's funny because I, I think part of my worry uh, is something I've also tested recently, which is I feel sometimes that my contribution, my seat in the car, was not earned because I wasn't also doing an act, right? Mary's doing two acts. Our hosts are hosting and doing an act. And I have, what, three acts in existence right now? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Three. Yeah. I get no more pleasure out of doing an act. In fact, it's actually maybe worse for me doing acts in my shows. Yes. It, it does cause a um, a detriment to your abilities as a producer. Yeah. It, it, it does. It has it, to. It, it's you extra know, nerves. It's just, it's, just hu- it's just human emotion. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. And so I think that being part of a company where I can just produce and kitten and sometimes yeah. also run sound depending on the venue and really be part of the producing side is how I came into it and where I kind of see myself staying more in the Sin Factory family. Well, yeah. it's, it's understanding knowing you as long as I have because I've watched you produce both Nerdless Fests. Um, like, like there are a lot of producers for that show, but you make the show happen. Um, no, I was, so I was only a producer the second year. The oh, first right. okay. year I got called in later, like Iris Explosion kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi are my only hope to me actually <laughs> about being the shadowy overlord. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can come in, tech a show, make it happen. I care about this right. festival. I care about people. I want to make this happen. Um, and then the second year I agreed to work with Lefty and the team and be a producer. And then this year was actually very sad for me to have to step back a little more just because I wasn't sure what my time was going to be like and yeah. I didn't want to let anybody down. But I did sign on early, early, early as Shadowy Overlord again. Right. Which is well, the best title in... Oh, yeah. It's my favorite You being a Shadowy title. Overlord, though, you're pretty much a producer as far as I'm concerned because you're still making sure everything runs and runs smoothly. Yeah. And especially the second year I did it when I was also more involved... Like, you are, I watched you be everyone's go-to person for almost anything. There was a question about the show at all, well, Sarah will know, or I'll go ask Sarah, or you checked in with everybody. I mean, you constantly checked in with me and the DJ both to make sure the sound was fine, that the the lights were fine, and they were as fine as they could be with two other people in the booth with me. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, because some of that comes from the difference, I think, between how people think about burlesque production and live event production, right? So as I mentioned, my muggle job is as an event producer. So to me, that's on-site event management, and it's having someone, and Mary and I talk about this a lot, because you produce events as well. Yeah. And... There is a difference between the person who hires everybody, comes mm-hmm. up with the idea, creates everything, and then the person who is on site and makes it all makes work. it all happen. Sometimes it's the same person. When I'm producing events as a project manager, mm-hmm. 
I am that person. I am all of those things, and that's why I don't sleep for a week before an event and then work an 18-hour day. Um, but I do always work with a creative who comes up with things. In the burlesque world, it's really interesting because I think the first things to fall by the wayside are the technical and production yeah. staff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most burlesque producers are performers, mm-hmm. right? I would say at this point in the scene, yeah, most are yeah. performers of some level. If they're not hosts, yeah. they're, right. you know, whatever they are. So, yes, I think anybody can start their own burlesque troupe and produce, and it's great, and it's a great way to get yourself in shows and performing, kind of like what you were saying. You didn't want to ask to be in other people's shows and all that. But in terms of producing something on a larger scale, I think some knowledge of production and how things work and making things happen is necessary, which is why that Bardlesque show, the first one we did together, was so interesting for me and something that I could find my way into because... You didn't have that, right? You could produce yeah. Bardless. You could cast it. You could pick the material. You could make mm-hmm. it awesome. But <laughs> yeah. what you couldn't do was up the production value to a point where people were going to want to pay the kind of ticket prices we were asking. Yeah. And the same is true of festivals. I mean, lots of people look at festival videos and they say, oh my gosh, look at the lighting of this. I was actually yeah. just watching um, Poison Ivory's mm-hmm. winning act. Oh. And I was just... Oh. Amazing. I'm just glad with Poison Ivory to have a shorter side. She has not been on the podcast yet, but she knows I very much love her a lot, her and her wife. Um, But I saw her debut with Wasabasco. I don't know that that was her burlesque debut, but I know she'd been kidding and then she debuted with Wasabasco. I watched that first performance and went, she is going to run this industry. She's going to be a burlesque superstar, just watching that first act. And to see it come to fruition and for her to be winning awards and being a headliner and being... Just doing as well as she's doing is is so gratifying to me because she's deserved it since I saw her first performance. And I tell her that all the time, and she's absolutely humble about it, but it's very true. Yeah, she's so, fantastic. And, hey, we've had her on the Sin Factory stage. We have. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I just... And I do want to have her on the show, but but anyway, I interrupted you. You were watching one oh, of her performances. Oh, that's okay. I was watching one of her performances. It was the Behoff performance, of Right, course. of course, and, sure. Um, watching... Uh, we were talking about this before the the the, uh, the podcast. It's really difficult to watch burlesque videos mm-hmm. a lot of the time because they do not showcase what a wonderful act you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you have the kinds of production values that Behoff does, it's not that. Yeah. I can enjoy watching a video where the lights come up beautifully and the mm-hmm. sound swells and you can really co- correctly hear the crowd versus the yeah. music on mm-hmm. stage and those kind of things. And it... To have a certain level of show, you need to have just technical people, I think. Yeah. And I think that most of the festivals, or any of the festivals that I am aware of, are doing that right. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that at a smaller level, there isn't more of that. Yeah. And that people aren't trying to, you know, raise those production values. And to that uh, count, too, we don't have a lot of troops in New York anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of individual performers. And one of the things that I love about our tour is we were able to make it feel like a troop because we had that thing. You know, I think one of my favorite moments was during our Star Trek show where we yes. opened with the bridge of the Enterprise. Everybody was out there. We made it like the beginning and like the ship crashed. Mm-hmm. And that one little tiny thing tied the show together. And in talking to all of our audience members, they loved it. They thought mm-hmm. that was so fun. They thought that we built the show around that. And, you know, yeah. And no we, one could tell I had a fever and... Almost called in sick. Yeah. Correct. That was hell of a Because we were all together. We were all up on on the stage, and we had actually rehearsed, like, 
when we crash, which direction are we going to fall? Right, because you have to and shake in the right direction. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Classic Yeah, and I think we either went like right and then yeah. left and yeah. then right and then we fell and then the lights flickered and... Yeah. yeah, and it was a small thing, but it really does add to the show. And it was a very funny thing that we slowly discovered because to us, as, as you mentioned, Sarah, there really aren't many troops in New York. And when, in festivals, when people come in from outside, you see those group numbers, you see those troops happen. Mm-hmm. But just by the very nature of how many people are here, how much, you know, hustling for work, whatever else, and trying to schedule time, everybody is kind of a unit unto themselves that every now and again, like, kind of pairs off for certain things, depending. And we came with that mentality when going to DC. And so we had the people that we always had just by very nature of producers or whatever else. And we'd rotate people depending upon schedules or who had acts or anything else. But the people in D.C. saw us as a singular troop. So they would so. ask about the people that weren't there. Yes. Um, for a little while, Lefty Lucy and Charles Stunning were our two like, I think like go-to people. Go-to people. Yeah. So it would that, usually... was the, that was the car. Yeah, yeah, that was the car and the pre-Johnny. And then yeah. even after, we'd have one of them. And so people, you know, if Lefty wasn't there, they'd go, oh my gosh, where's Lefty Lucy this time? Is she okay? And we're like, oh yeah, she just didn't have an act for the show. Or yeah. like, oh, Charles Stunning, yeah, no, she's, she's not really performing all that much anymore. Like, it just... They saw us as a troop, mm-hmm. as a group of people that came down, and we, you know, have regulars. Yeah. yeah. People who, you know, come out to every show. Well, yeah, and I think I've noticed that, too, um, you know, working for a variety of different producers. It's like there are certain producers in New York who have a shtick, and they do their show every month or every three months, whenever it is. And then there are there are producers, I feel, who just put on a thing. Like, they just get as many people together as they can, and it's it's a show showcasing individuals, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But it, it's nice. To, like, I've met some some groups now who are trying to make troops within New York and are trying to pick them up themselves up from a very small starting point. And I think that's important to the industry because you need you need this the thing that I've loved about Burlesque since I joined it is it's very welcoming and inviting for the most part. I've made this miracle of being able to get along with every producer in New York, I think I can safely say, which is an impossible <laughs> task. I've yeah, heard. wow. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I think I mostly manage it by being reasonable and being nice. I know it's crazy but um but no but in seriousness i think it comes from a place that i've always felt that i was outside the industry for such a long time and that everyone repeatedly tells me that it is very difficult to find someone to just play the music and be technical savvy without being you know either pain in the ass at the venue or stuck up or like you know just you know not into it and i think that's like it was always strange to me like no one's being a dj in burlesque like so many shows need a sound guy why is there not someone just devoted to that show doing that job all the time? Unless, of course, it's like you guys where you have a producer who will always play sound for your shows or who will, or you switch the role or whatever it is. And so I just think it's really interesting that the, the troop mentality is really great because you can cultivate those positions in those places, like you were saying, which I f- feel like either the really large groups or even the really small groups have less of. Yeah, I think the real problem with troops in New York is it doesn't matter if there's one person in your act or 17, you get paid for one act slot. Yeah. Yeah. And that, unless that fundamentally changes about the way that producers are paying their acts, Mm -hmm. that it's it's really difficult to do things as a group. Sure. Um, I think a a really good example of this is last year's Winter Burlesque Blitz. Mm it's very difficult to make money in a burlesque blitz. The mm-hmm. the way the number of seats, the way that um, the split is with the crane. It's a wonderful space to be. We love working with the burlesque yeah, it's blitz. A it's a theater. gorgeous yes. theater. It's a gorgeous. It's a great festival to be part of. 
the only way to make money is to have very few people in your show. Mm-hmm. So we did a four-person show, plus Johnny as our tech stage manager person. Yeah. Slash the guy that doesn't have pitch, and it was a musical burlesque show. So you're like, so, buddy, if you could play with this Rubik's Cube while we go <laughs> sing, that would be... <laughs> Aces. I wish I could say that we were more tactful than that. We threw a ball several blocks down a hill. (laughs) Here's a stack of old Spider-Man comics. Amuse yourself, sir. Pretty much. Uh, Yes, this was our all-singing, all-stripping, Sondheim burlesque show. Which Which I'm very sad that I missed. (laughs) And it had a group opening and group closing number. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did group numbers. Uh, we also were thinking about a group act one opener, and that was very ambitious. Act two, a two opener. opener, and that was yeah. very ambitious. Three group that, numbers, because yeah. two—that's not enough. Well, and and also they were all rewrites of Sondheim songs, which turns out that's really hard to do. Sondheim is a little difficult. Huh. To do anything yeah. to change it. Who, who would have seen that coming? Is more exponentially difficult. Yeah, and so we had a lot of fun with it, but it was a four-person cast. It was yeah. Mary, Dick, me, and uh, Charles Stunning. Mm-hmm. Um. And it was great because everybody did two acts. Two acts. Mm-hmm. An act uh, one and an act two. Uh, except for me, and I was the kitten, and my through line led to an, a double act that Dick and I did at the end. You, yeah. you, you, you were there in my slot. Like, kind of the, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, Mary, Charles, and I did uh, each a slot in both acts, and you were with me in, in that one. So you got to, that's where you did, that was your first act. Uh, yeah, yes, that, was, was. that was my yeah. first act. Yeah, and so it wasn't just, um, and that, it had to be that small for several practical reasons. Not just the fact that if we hope to make any money doing something like this, the burlesque blitz, it needs to be small. Also, the the idea of scheduling, of time, of getting everybody in one place and rehearsing, doing a musical rehearsal, doing dance choreography, and I mean, there's rehearsing. only so many people who can step touch in our living room. It's not that big. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even with recording uh, Charles doing the choreography so that it could be sent around and we all had a video to, to work off of and, you know, throwing all of this together ourselves. I mean, honestly, it was, it was beautiful hell. Um... <laughs> I, I think it's the perfect. It, it was beautiful yeah. hell. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you were you were also like the musical director. I was for the musical the, for director that, for yeah. that one. So yes. I, did, I, as the producer, I just got to be like, I'm. This is one of those rare times. I'm glad he's more talented than me, because otherwise, <laughs> I would have so much fucking work to do for the show. Right. And it, you were and, still very jealous. Oh, I was so <laughs> jealous because it wasn't about me. But I was like, it's okay. <laughs> My turn will be the Doctor Who show. We, hey, we needed you for Sondheim because there again, it's that fact of there's only. As talented as people can be and as talented and wonderful as everyone at this table, all five of us are. Um, no, no, you're included in this. But the fact is, with that in mind, you only have so much energy to go around. Yeah. Yeah. And certain tasks spend more of that energy than others. Yeah. And yeah. it's different between people, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, going on and doing an act for you is not nearly as much energy as running around stage managing producing. Whereas yes. for me, it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. Correct. And so we had a lot going on, and we were all able to cover the necessary pieces and parts. But um, honestly, Johnny, having you there just um, to catch, to support, to push, to move was crucial. Yeah, because that was the, that was I think that is maybe the number one show where Sarah was would, could not be able to do anything off stage. Yeah. Correct. So that was, I mean that was my role again. My apprenticeship paid off because like yeah I know. Uh, in case the thing breaks, I'm over here. <laughs> yep, yep. And I mean, a thing that we kind of glossed over was once you started really being part of Sin Factory, you and Dick did a lot of co-hosting as well. 
And yeah, I think my favorite photo of you two co-hosting was the Marvel show oh. where you were... Um, 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 Foggy Nelson and Matt Murdock? Yes. Um, which yes. one? Which, which, which I enjoyed. And, um, you know, having had, before that point, seeing the preliminary run of Dick's Daredevil act, which I really loved in... Um, in uh, in an Avengers show that Charles Stunning produced, it was just it. I like seeing. Fo- I don't also see a lot of duo hosts. Like a lot of hosting, I see. The, I see it more now. Like Nasty Contestants, How Fire Jones host a lot together, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing a few other producers doing that too. But for the most part, it's usually a single host. So was the hosting together because they had a good dynamic together, or simply utility, or both? Well, I mean, the easy answer is they didn't want to fight to the death. But uh. <laughs> the actual answer. May- you can take it. Your well, I think, you know, I think the first time we got them in a room together, they just fell in love. And it was like <laughs> this bromance for the ages. Um, so I'm sorry, that- what did you say? We were too busy making out. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're sitting across from each other, not next to each other. This really cuts but, down. But Man, I mean, Mary and I just want a business. We could, we could just, we could just, just stare staring at each other's eyes, to, just to mouthing fair, I love you. To be fair, I do have to, you know, uh, admit that Dick is a little bit of a burlesque uh, man crush slut because like True. we fell in love at Nerdless Fest year the first year I went and then more so the second year and I think also me and Johnny had a little bit of a connection at the second year as well <laughs> so I think you're both really burlesque is, man crush sluts. This is also why I let love. Mary induct me into polyamory. I was like yes, all the crushes forever <laughs> and ever. I really like the idea of being inducted into polyamory. Oh yeah, there's like a there's ritual. a ceremony, like a knighting. But like, like how many dicks are there? Like, I just, there are, it depends. There are at least three hoods per head. <laughs> at uh, least. Uh, I'm leaving that one alone. <laughs> but anyway, so this is what the car rides down were like. I, I, I imagine so. So, yeah, we kind of had to put that dynamic on stage uh, and let everybody else enjoy it. Yeah. To, to, to answer your question, yes. <laughs> to unpack that question, yeah, the, the fact of... There is a wonderful, easy dynamic between myself and Johnny. Um, Part of, I think, the first time you hosted was because I couldn't go. Yes. And it was much the same as, I feel like a lot of people's first time doing something on stage and in, in a in a companies like this, it's like, somebody's sick, somebody can't do this, somebody's on fire, it's we the 42nd Street story, you yeah. get up there, you get on that kid, it's Broadway, you know? And so he started hosting, and then it turned into a thing of, okay, um, the four of us here, it, it, it essentially breaks down to two couples, and it's kind of a, well, I don't want to tell my partner not to host. They, they like hosting, and, well, there's, there's nothing wrong. And the two of us being like, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to step on your toes. I mean, you do a good job and everything. And, and wait, so wait, just, what if I were Foggy and you were Nelson? Yeah. <laughs> <We're from Murdoch. laughs> I'm Foggy. Yo, Nelson, we don't know anything about Daredevil. That's just what Daredevil needs is two Foggies. No. <laughs> Season three, the two Foggies. Right, exactly. But, right. but just that same idea of like, well, there's nothing wrong. Then there's certainly precedent and everything else. If you're able to share the space and share the time. I think for a little while there, we actually did it where um, I would host the first half, you would host the second. Yeah, and I think what the show where I remember specifically was like, you know what, we should do more stuff on stage together, hosting wise, was we did the Doctor Who show, and you and I was Doctor, I was the Doctor, and you were Captain Jack, but you yes. only came out for a couple of bits. Yes. And the thing is, uh, uh, we've recorded a bunch of our shows on my iPhone, and I often, much like uh, that, like like any great craftsman, I look at the tapes later, and then I'm like. 
that was a mistake. That wasn't funny. And like the Doctor Who show, I'm like, Dick and I should have co-hosted instead of him only coming out a couple of times because those were the best parts. And I realized we could, and we take turns. One of us will take lead. One of us will be sidekick. It's never the same dynamic every time, which I really like. Yes, we, and especially because all of our shows are nerdy shows and something that one, if not all of us, are nerdy about in whatever amount. And it kind of allows... And because Johnny and I are such um, pop culture consumer whores, and how, uh, just about any property that we're doing a show about, one of us will know a great deal about or work to learn a great deal about it by the time the show happens. Ooh. That's a Sarah Top skill. I was going to say, that's a me skill. So last year we did a whole bunch of shows that I knew nothing about. God love you. Everybody else wanted to do them, and I was like, no problem. Tell me a character to be. Tell me several episodes of a thing to watch. So sometimes our drive down was also educating Sarah about Star Trek. Or The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, I forget what, there, there were a couple. The X-Files. Oh, X-Files. Oh, yeah. That was the other one. I was like, give me episodes of The X-Files to watch that won't make me not be able to sleep at night. And you were like, give me 12 hours and yeah. I will get back to you. I was going to say, that, that's a, a fairly difficult task. Well, especially because you were playing Scully, Scully. So we had to have oh, good Scully episodes that weren't scary, but still gave you an idea of what the show was like. That's a tough pick to make. Like, I can think of several that I would recommend off the top of my head, but they would also give most people nightmares. I also yeah. want to say that was maybe one of my most, um, the uh, producer decision as I'm most proud of for Sin Factory because we timed that show to drop during right in week two of the six weeks of new episodes at the beginning of 2016. So that show was, it was a great show. And we actually thought about that. That's why we, we put we it that We planned it like month. six yeah. months ahead of time and we made really good money. Yeah. yeah, I mean, hey, I'm I'm proud of us for planning something six months ahead of time. That like, was we big were, for like, us. Well, also because you talked us down, like, because Mary and I were super jonesing to do an X Files show, and you're like, why don't we wait till the new episodes come out? Because you're smart. Well, you're I didn't know anything producer. about X Files, and then suddenly I saw things about X Files again, and I was yeah. like, does that mean there's more X Files? And you guys were like, oh yeah, that's happening in it's, like this month. It's coming back. Yeah, we also got lucky because it was coming back, and it wasn't being like, hey, remember this old thing? come to a show about it? Well, that show was so funny because we got to do the reveal with Amelia Bearpart. So that well, was fantastic. Uh, so, so yeah, so to speak to that a little bit because I have that experience. So I've, of course, also worked with Francine Belusa Dream who also did an X-Files show mm -hmm. and had that Amelia Bearpart act in her show. Now, I've gotten to know, since I've started working with Francine, I've gotten to know a lot of performers that I didn't know very well beforehand. And Amelia is one of them who I adore and she's a sweetheart. I had no idea she had a sister. And so, <laughs> So when I'm filming at Joe's Pub this X-Files show that they often the the I'll DJ the Parkside Lounge shows but because um, Joe's Pub has a DJ that has to be a part of the show um, Francine who I love will ask me to do something else and I'm happy to do it and I had never seen that act before I had never seen any of the X-Files shows she had done previously and so when that reveal happened I'm literally my mouth is agape because I thought wait where's Where's the mirror? Where's the special effect? How is this working? Why is this happening? And I was Magic. so confused. So uh, the the act that uh, we're talking about is um, Amelia Bearpart's 
was the uh, alien hunter that can turn into whoever he kills. Or I guess he can turn into anybody. Anybody, yeah. Um, and so she had a twin sister. Has. Oh, has. Yes, she yes, has. has. Uh, Good news, has. they both survived 2016, everybody. <laughs> um, and so her twin sister came out as Samantha, and um, Amelia Bearparts came on with uh, a mask of the actual actor who played that character originally, um, <clears throat> stabbed the Samantha character, and then did a strip tease, took off the mask, and looked exactly like the person she had just killed. Because they're identical because twins. They're identical twins. Yeah. It was amazing. And that was the first time they had ever done that act, and the first time they had ever actually tried to look like each other. Um, because, you know, when you're twins, you're growing up, you want to differentiate sure, yourself. So they had, like, spent a lot of time, like, getting their makeup exactly the same was, and getting their hair exactly the same. It was really uncanny, and it, it was a fantastic It review. gave me chills. They looked so identical on stage. I, I was absolutely, as someone who no, had known at that point, had known Amelia Bearports pretty well, my mouth was agape. I couldn't... I couldn't even, I, the logical conclusion couldn't be she had a sister. Like, my brain couldn't process that. It was so, and, and what I was so thankful for afterwards and talked to both of them about is that I didn't know. Yeah. Because I was working backstage. I was helping them set up stuff, you know. I, I could have easily been, that could have easily been given away. But so somehow, you mean like we just did to all the listeners? <laughs> pretty much, yes. Um, but... But I just, I liked having, as someone who's a part of a show, still having that wonderment. And it's why I love burlesque. Yeah. Like, I think there are performers who I watch and I go, you're a beautiful performer and that's a beautiful act. And I really like it. And there are performers who just leave me speechless. Yeah. And both performances are great. It's just how I interact with them. It has nothing, it doesn't often have anything to do with the performer because there are tons of talented people in the burlesque scene. It's mostly how I interact with acts. Like I think for me, and I don't, you guys can tell me since you've been in the industry for a while now, there are acts that I find that are sexy, that actually turn me on, that I that are attractive people doing attractive things. But more often, it's not just because an act is sexy, it's because something in the act is specifically interesting or intriguing that yeah. does it for me now. Like me as someone who's DJed and 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 DJed a ton of shows and hosted a few shows. I can't just watch a performer and go, "Oh, you're really hot." This act turns me on. Like, it, there's got to be something else to it. Otherwise, I'm just enjoying it like I would enjoy any other piece of art that I like. Do you guys find that your tastes in in acts have changed as you've seen more and more? Um, I think my tastes have stayed the same. I've just gotten um, maybe a little bit more jaded. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for 11 years. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and I remember when I started, I didn't think there could be a bad burlesque act. I just I didn't oh. know that that was a thing. <laughs> I was just so excited to see like people just finding new and interesting ways to take their clothes off. And I was going to a show every single week and it was always a surprise and everything was always exciting. And this was also back like before there were a million burlesque performers. Mm -hmm. There was really just a small amount of people who'd been doing it for a very long time. Or maybe not very, but like a few years. Um, so they all really like knew what they were doing and really on top of it. Um, and I thought, you know, at most, it's a five-minute act. How can you do a bad burlesque act? Right. Now I know. <laughs> I know exactly how you do a bad burlesque act, and I've seen a ton of them. Um, and maybe there were bad burlesque acts back when I was first seeing them, but I was just so excited about mm -hmm. this new thing. Um, 
So I think my tastes have changed slightly and I've gotten a little bit more um, discerning, but I love that after 11 years, I can still see stuff that is new mm-hmm. and surprising yeah. and still gives me that, oh my God, I can't believe you came up with that feeling. Yeah. Because in in the end, um, and this sort of, I, I almost jokingly said this at, uh, when talking about Amelia's act, really as a performer, um, when you're true to yourself and the talents and life and history that you have and have been given, you can create some truly surprising things. Because yes, we, we all have so much in common, but there's always our perspective on things that can twist it a little bit. Those things that you have, um, people talk about burlesque being very welcoming, body positive and everything else. And I, I agree. And one of the great things is when people use who and how they are mm-hmm. to make their act one way or another, whether embracing it or subverting it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just remembering uh, I debuted a Poison Ivy act uh, last month or two months ago or whatever, and one of our other I, he's company member, I would say, Bear Anatomy, uh, mm-hmm. came up to me and was like, oh, so I see what you did there. You subverted, like, every burlesque trope. I was like, oh, shit, is that the thing I did? I just... I guess I'm jaded and I'm bored of seeing the same. Oh man, yeah, you're right. I did. Instead of doing a glove peel, I just bit my gloves off really fast and, like, yeah, hmm, okay, yeah, interesting. So to your question, um, the answer is I think that the more that you do it and the more that you're in the community, I find myself being bored by certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am also constantly surprised. I do really enjoy going to shows and seeing great work that people do. That said, to the other part of your question, I'm really boring and vanilla and very Mm -hmm. rarely get turned on by things I see in public. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am, I'm going to sell you out here a little bit, the opposite of Johnny Caligula. (laughs) uh, My my catchphrase, I didn't expect that to do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, I think we talked about that a little bit when you were on the show before that your love of burlesque kind of led from a place where you just were really into burlesque and that that transitioned pretty smoothly to you performing burlesque. And I think that's really interesting as someone who uh, has still not performed an act, hasn't had many ideas for acts, and have been yelled at to do those acts. Um, you know, I have a stage fright thing, but it sounds like you never really had that. Like, you... Not were even com- a <laughs> you, You're comfortable with yourself, which I think is really interesting. Because I know a lot of... We're all nerds here, and so a lot of nerds start out with, I don't know, I'm really shy, and I, nobody likes me, and I can't do a, do a thing on stage. But it sounds like you didn't have that. And so what do you? What was that transition point for, you know, um, watching to doing? I think the thing is I, I do have, I have anxiety, I have social anxiety, but I have this weird thing where I really love public speaking, mm-hmm. and I feel oddly comfortable working a crowd, mm. I, which is weird. No, I feel the same way. It's a very funny thing where one-on-one feels very odd. F- can feel, can, that that can be anxiety-inducing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say. What if something goes wrong? What if this? What if that? But you put me on stage in front of a crowd and give me a microphone <laughs> or even turn the microphone off. I'll still be louder than the room. And there is this odd freeing sensation. It is terrifying. It's It still is. But there's this odd permission that already exists between the person on stage and the audience. Mm-hmm. And different audiences will challenge that. And as we've gotten comfortable with our audience in D.C., some of those people, you know, heckle a little more, call out a little more, but it becomes a back and forth. And it, it is a very interesting thing And that you said that, that I definitely feel that same way of, like, 
there there is fear, there is worry, there is um, second guessing and overthinking. But kind of once you're up there, whether it's because you're hosting and you have the mic, or it's your act and the music's playing, what are you gonna do? Stop. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think so. I've had at this point limited um, uh, experience hosting, and the first show I ever hosted, I still can't remember. I remember getting <laughs> on stage, and then I yeah. it blacks out, and then I remember getting off stage. So I was told I was funny. I was told I did a good job, which is great, but I literally can't remember anything I said or did. Subsequent shows, I have, you know, but that first show, like. It was the fear and anxiety and adrenaline took over, and then it was like lizard brain speak yeah. um, stuff. Yes. That's, oh. that's how it always is for me on stage, which is why I still need you to send me my act videos so I can, you know, yes. look also, at them. Also, I would. It's. I remember actually uh, that debut act I did with Mary, which was uh, the number where I had my eyes covered because I was mm-hmm. uh, the Corinthian from Sandman, so I had to make teeth eyes. But I remember getting ready for that show and. I it, the the stage fright had I didn't have a I was nervous about it but mm-hmm. like it kind of just turned into this adrenaline rush akin to doing cocaine <laughs> <laughs> to the point where like I'm just pacing in the venue for like yeah. ten minutes just burning off this adrenaline so I could sit in a chair so Liberty Rose could do my dumb face makeup so I can be blind it honestly is sort of channeled terror in a yeah. way yeah. like learning to channel that gives you power yeah but I I think it's also different from everybody right like for me i started kittening long before i did acts right i will kitten i will ad lib i will go go dance and have zero stage fright zero anything that is just me being me working a crowd like being a host doing those kind of things and i don't even think about it how i made my transition from audience member to performer uh Somebody dropped out of a go-go set and I needed a go-go. I said, bring me some stuff so I could be naked and shake. Like, (laughs) the being more naked in public was never the problem for me. For me, it was the creative part of making an act and Mm -hmm. doing something like that. And even still, I black out. I don't know. And I think different things can trigger that for different people. I mean, I grew up basically performing. Um, I grew up in a theater family. uh, But the first show I was ever in, I was three. Um, so was that the show that had the onstage orgy? That was when I was four. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh so your parents waited. The mother's yeah. sin were like, she's yeah. not ready yet. Oh, she's four now. Now she can be in super sexy... What play was it? The one about Charlemagne? Yes. Uh, well, it's, Pippin? Not, it's, it's about Charlemagne's son. It's called Pippin, oh, wow. and it has an orgy scene uh, on stage. Um, I was not in the orgy scene. I played a child that he's, he adopts later on. Um, after the orgy. After I the settled orgy. down from orgies. Yes. Dad asked me to settle down. I'm adopting this baby. It, kind of. Um, <laughs> adopting this Mary. <laughs> I'm adopting this baby. So, so I yeah, I went on stage before it even occurred to me that that would be scary. Mm. Um, so performing was never scary for me. Uh, I did get scared when I started producing. I produced uh, some theater when I was in high school. Uh, same thing with directing. Um so if I can get up on a stage and do some art that I have worked on, I am happy. I am comfortable. There is nothing that can go so wrong that I cannot fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, try and talk to me before a show. And I'm if I don't know you, I don't know how to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, I'm like, well, you saw some weird, deep inner part of me. So if you still want to talk to me now, great. <laughs> Absolutely. I am so much more comfortable after I've performed. That's also how I met you. Yes, true. Right after you performed. 
Well, and trial it, by fire, as it were. It was also insanely intimidating because it was a Coney Island show. So that the act ends with you topless, no pasties, covered in your chest in fake blood. And I was like, oh, cool! I have to come up to that girl after the show and be like, "Hi, I'm that guy from OK Cupid." What's up? Do I suck? <laughs> I often ask that question when I meet people for the first time. Do I suck? Because I always think I every, suck. Every is everything. everything. Every sin fast repost show. Punctuation is also important. Punctuation is important. Uh, but it's also funny to, to look at these things and think about all these aspects of a show. And one of the big things that I'm noticing in this conversation is also the idea of... Um, spontaneous versus premeditated, mm-hmm. and I am terrible at pre at premeditated. I have to be spontaneous. Podcasting, uh, spoiler alert: I don't use scripts in any of my shows. Um, bullet points sometimes, but never scripts. What the fuck have I been reading? Oh, we <laughs> didn't <a> menu. <laughs> we don't trust you, so we gave you a script. Thank you, um, because you'll say anything. Yes, I will. Um, but uh, but yeah, but when it comes to certain things, I'm very premeditated. Like when it comes to DJing, I'm meticulous about building playlists and cues and songs, but but podcasting and hosting, it's just like, well, we'll see what my brain does. But also playlists is somebody else's material. You're working hard to work with other, something that works for somebody else's act right. and serves them. Whereas uh, doing something for a podcast, uh, creating your own act is premeditated purely for yourself. True. And this runs into a lot of creative issues and a lot of creative overthinking that can happen, which everybody deals with differently and the energy pours out a lot differently as opposed to getting up on stage and hosting. You could black out for the entire thing, but you can go lizard brain and it's amazing what can and does come out of you. Yeah. Um, I I think that for me hosting now, I'm, I'm banking on people tell me I'm charismatic, so I just hope that any nonsense that comes out of my face I can get away with. Um, And I hosted a show, a Halloween show for Burlesque Troop, and I hosted as Kilgrave because I realized I had a lot of purple, and so I figured I'd host as Kilgrave. But within seconds after getting on stage, I went, by the way, I am a fan of the show, I know what Kilgrave represents, I am not in character as him, I am Matt Storm, aka Stormageddon, dressed as Kilgrave, because he is a horrible man, and I don't want to promote anything that he stands for because I thought it was important to kind of throw that out there as a character dressing as a character that is is a deplorable human being and known for being I was just like yeah I'm not comfortable with this here's words from my face yes (laughs) that actually reminds me of uh, so we did a Marvel TV show in DC and Sarah Tops and I kind of did an informal survey of our regulars and they were all like hey if you could not have any Kilgrave in that show that would be like super great because that fucker gives me nightmares and, you know, we didn't even really ask most of them. We announced that we were doing a Marvel show oh, and but, people and, approached us. Yeah. And they were like, hey, that would be super fucked up and scary if you could not. Because we really, it's the thing we're also, as producers, realize, oh, our crowd's a bit more, they're a bit more, it's like a laid back nerdy date night. It's yeah. not like some of the crowds you can get in New York for shows. You kind of get like hardcore like performers who want to see something really interesting and engaging that might make them feel an emotion, even if it's a dark emotion. Whereas we realize, oh, this is more of a, hey, we drove an hour. We just like to have a nice time with nudity. Which is great. And and in particular because it was a Netflix Marvel, uh, like, that was the focus on it. It wasn't just general Marvel. Like, we made it clear it was the Netflix stuff. So it was even more of a, okay, so at that point, Luke Cage hadn't come out. Yeah. So we just had those two shows to work from, Daredevil and Jessica Jones. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We said all the Oh, oh yeah, we had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, yeah, it was all just the TV stuff, and we did work with that. So having that, like... Yeah, um, please. And it's it's and it was fantastic 
because we had that relationship with our audience. Yeah, already. yeah, sure. So it's and it's one of those like read the room and don't stop. And it was probably one of the most difficult discussions we've had to have as producers, I think, because it was very important artistically for you to present a Jessica Jones act and I didn't want to take that away from you but I also didn't we uh Johnny and I also didn't want to alienate our audience so it was something that we had to the three of us really work through and work past art versus commerce yeah in a way and it when that was the other thing was like art versus commerce with the DC shows it was also a thing of it had to be worth it to make the trip it couldn't just be a thing where we were just losing money every time we went and that was the other thing. We had to be sure there were butts in the seats and that people would come back for the next show. And one of the nice things, I wanted to bring this up before, um, we keep talking about the long car rides back and forth from D.C. to New York. Those basically were our production meetings at, at all points. And so it was always, it's always been very interesting. Uh, we talked a bit about being able to plan out the X-Files show six months in advance, being able to figure out what are the things that we've talked about with audience because we'll all have our own separate conversations with our audience. And having that relationship, we don't just have to go, you know, put ideas in a hat and tell us, although we did do that as well. Um, talking with people going, well, what do you like? What don't you like? What do you want to see? And being able to kind of have that time together before shows and after shows to go, well, what did people think? Or what do people want? And Well, uh, that said, also, I think one of the things that's really special about our DC shows is something that was and is special about OC as well. And that it involves the audience in a way that other shows don't typically do. Um, I think that we have a lot of regulars at our DC show who come because not only can they see a great burlesque show but they can hang out with the performers for mm -hmm. a couple hours afterwards we usually really, close the bar yeah we <laughs> always close yeah. we get kicked out of the upstairs then we get kicked out of the downstairs and yeah. you know close um, the bar and you know the first OC I ever was part of I was like this is I have been training for this <laughs> you have been training me to be part of this you know we're offering body shots at our shows we're you know making it a real party we used yeah. to give lap dances <laughs> I miss those I, lap dances. Why don't we do it anymore? Oh, because of that really grabby lady, Dick, who was all over oh, you. Right. Did I complain about that? No, but the audience did. Oh, no, it made the, the audience was, Multiple people asked, is Dick move okay? That birthday lady got a little handsy. <laughs> she got real handsy. And it was a thing where I was watching, I'm like, is this okay? And I was like, God damn, he's so talented. He's just effortlessly guiding her away from his private bits. <laughs> like, it was that they were like, Dick move, can can move that son of a can move his dick real well that's your whole thing <laughs> well we keep talking about that marvel uh, netflix show that we did and i feel if we're telling stories and little factoids inside things it would be amiss to not mention that that was the show where the audience got not one but two bits of tasteful uh sideball <laughs> in both my daredevil act and johnny's punisher act um because I inherited a thong from Bear Anatomy because it was too small for his gigantic, absurd, ridiculous porno dick. <laughs> and while I do not have a giant, ridiculous porno dick, <gasps> honey, <laughs> you're very kind. I'm very happy with things. Um, I do have a disproportionately large scrotum. You can edit that out if you want. No, I don't really edit that much. I'll edit the necessary stuff, but that's staying in. Fantastic. Yeah. No, no, because this does become a problem in terms of... Sideball. Um, of, of sideball and burlesque underwear that fits. Because, you know, you get jock straps, you get fun little things like, oh, this is cool. This fit, you know, because I'm a beanpole of a human being. It's like, this fits fine here. All right, let's... um. 
Dance? Let, yeah, let's move my body in any way possible. Ball. Side ball. And see and, if and the ball pops out. You know like those Looney Tunes cartoons where they pop, they, like, they shove everything into that closet and then close the door as a trap so when somebody opens it, there's just like several rooms of sports equipment that flies out at them? That happens with balls. <laughs> well, I think the best part about the side ball was you didn't notice, Dick. No, no I didn't. So he was hosting. He was. He did his act and continued hosting. Continued hosting, and everybody in the audience is looking at him like it's right. And I like you've got to <laughs> know we can see that. I was hosting as Matt Murdock. I am method. I couldn't <laughs> see shit because well, for one thing, uh, the sunglasses that I purchased to uh, be Matt Murdock, they they're that perfect red circular everything. They didn't. Uh, they, they were too light. They were too clear. So when I had them on, you could see my eyes. And so, so I my- put a whole bunch of black makeup on them, which meant you couldn't see through yeah. them. Yeah, and it was that kind of thing where, because again, I don't want people noticing like, oh, your eyes are moving around. You can see things. I, I we, we got it to like a nice compromise of not I can, fall off the stage. Yeah, I'm not gonna not. fall off the stage. I could see. I could see shapes. I could see. Va- it, it's like wandering to the bathroom at night <laughs> before your eyes have adjusted. That's what I could see, and there wasn't really much of a breeze. So tasteful sideball. And and I was dressed as Agent Carter, the other show you forgot we also had to work with. And, Agents of Shield style, yes, you're right. And I I was gonna go fix it, but I didn't really want pictures on the internet of Agent <laughs> Carter down on her knees, moving aside Matt Murdoch's jock strap. That didn't seem like a thing that I wanted. And that definitely would have gotten on the internet. That's oh, yeah. true. May I say I respect this woman's integrity <laughs> to the core. But the stage manager in me was like, oh, go fix it. It's just my husband. I can, oh, nope, nope, not going to do that. Dress like this. Nope, She nope. didn't say anything. She didn't even give like a you might want to adjust or don't you feel a breeze or something. There was, no. Nope. But it makes for a funnier story. It, 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 and at that point, they'd been looking at it for like a whole minute. It's like for a penny. Point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the the next thing I wanted to ask about um, before we wrap up is kind of so you've talked a lot about Sin Factory and you know burlesque in general. What's the future of a Sin Factory? And do you guys see for yourself as a troupe, at, uh, future productions, things you're working on, stuff that you want to do, that kind of stuff? Like Sarah, I know you just recently started performing more. More regularly, by you did an act um, in in the DC show. Um, by the way, the photos of your Captain Cold were both were probably one of my favorite things, only because you had both the essence of the TV Captain Cold, who is a giant cornball, and I love as well as the old comic book one. So, uh, for those of you at home, he's posing in the corniest fashion he possibly can. Um, referring we're, to Johnny, we're talking of about Johnny. Johnny yeah. Cal- by the way, Johnny Caligula loves all obscure B, C, and D list supervillains. If you True. have superpowers and all you want to do is go into a bank and steal those bags of money with the dollar signs on them, <laughs> you are my homeboy forever. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, but but I'm curious to know, as I'm also only uh, recently knowing about Sin Factory, you know, I've known some of you for longer. Um, I'm just curious about what your future plans are for, 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 each, for each other as well as the troop as a whole. 
Well, uh, we kind of have a fairly sad announcement to make, which is yeah. that we've canceled our season in DC. Um, we're very sorry to all of our regulars. Um, given some management changeover and things, it doesn't make it financially viable for us to come down anymore. But the good news is this means that we're going to focus our efforts on producing some great stuff in New York again. And maybe, I don't know, we could be convinced to do some living room shows or something with the people yeah. we love down in DC. So uh, I, I think we have like a, a small and committed group of regulars in DC that like honestly we're gonna just miss we're gonna we really see really them are. Again. we love you all if they weren't <laughs> friends before they become yeah. friends through this um so probably not every month but sometimes we'll probably show up in somebody's living room and take our clothes off <laughs> by, yep. de- by demand and sanity we'll yes. make this happen exactly yeah. so it's not it's not over it's just going to be a different iteration of the sin factory dc yeah. and you know trying to do you know it's funny um Connie and Noah, who are very important to the burlesque scene. Everybody knows Connie and yeah. Noah. Yeah, Kate mm-hmm. said to me, and they're like, "Oh, you're up from DC." I was like, "Oh no, I live here. I just, I, I just, just do shows in DC. Place. I totally understand why you get that, but I live here." Well, yeah. uh, uh, speaking about Noah and Connie, very quickly, the reason I was able to get on stage in the first show I hosted is because in this living room show, they were front and center in the VIP seats, the VIP couch in that living room, <laughs> hooting and hollering and yes mamming the entire time, and so <laughs> they just. I um, kittened at Galatea's show and did Go-Go, which I had just the most fun at that show. It was so great. Um, And there was nobody in the room at first. Like, everybody was, like, kind of hanging out in the back drinking, Mm. and I was doing a Go-Go set for basically just Connie and Noah. (laughs) It was awesome. And my friend Sean, who happened to be there. I was like, all right, fine. You guys get the good show. (laughs) And then everybody else poured in. And I was was already warmed up because I was playing to friends. And I think that that was something that was really special about our DC shows, too, is Mm -hmm. that... It was an audience of friends. And that that happens in New York, too. And I'm actually, you know, it's wonderful because it is a community and it's Mm -hmm. really become that. And um, to answer your question personally now, I guess that's the next step. Um, I I don't know. I really love Kitten and Go-Go and would love to continue doing that for anybody's show who wants to have me. Mm -hmm. Um, And... In terms of doing acts, I have a few. If it fits the theme of a show, I'll probably do it. But I, I really, I think the kittening and go-go is really my wheelhouse and what mm-hmm. I like. And also, of course, you know, we're going to create some great stuff. And I think that, you know, whatever that becomes, the Sin Factory team will still be the Sin Factory team. Yeah. If for no other reason that it's way easier for me to hang out with people when I call it work. So oh, That's true, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. As both Mary and Lefty Lucy and Charles Stunning and everybody know very, very well, call yeah. it work and you'll hang out with me all the time. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is also, so it's we've turned into the hunt for a New York venue because we realized it's just it, the cost of going to D.C. had run into being as expensive as just producing in New York. But I think I'm excited also because finding a, uh, a New York home for Sin Factory also means we can move into some weirder darker stuff that i think wasn't appropriate for the dc shows because they were a bit more light and fun mm-hmm. and like the one the like there was one theme mary and i got really excited about doing that we realized just was not right for dc which uh uh yeah um so we want to do a hannibal show because um, <laughs> nice. mostly the... inspired by the tv show but i think we would open it up to any like thomas harris yeah themed uh acts because um, there are already a few good ones. Um, I have one with Lou Alfred Douglas that I'm very proud of. Um, and I love doing it. <laughs> and it's a, then the crowd went wild act. Yeah. That was when I was like, oh, we have to do this show in New York. 
because it's in like Parkside just like erupted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're looking forward to doing that. Um, I mean, I am usually the one who's always pushing to do weirder, darker, artier things. Um, so that's where I see myself going. And the I, good news is you need a stage manager for that. Yes, I do. <laughs> and I always enjoy acts where I end up covered in blood. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, who doesn't like that? Oh, it'll oh, be like I the night like we that. met. <laughs> Everybody will be naked and covered in fake blood. Romance. Um, well, and, and nothing hurt. Well, it's, it's sad that I never got to see one of your DC shows because me and my wife, Sarah, have friends in DC and had wanted to go and see one of the shows sometime and see our friends as well. Um, I think it's exciting for me to know that you'll be doing it here more because I'm, I personally will be able to be able to see those shows more. Yeah. And also, if you guys happen to need a DJ, I know someone who's pretty good. <laughs> Absolutely, he's, he's a little bit of a smug dick, but he's pretty good. Just saying. <laughs> Have you met us? Yeah. Um, I would also say that uh, you know we are theater nerds. From, from the very beginning. To the core. First and last. Oh, yeah. Um, I discovered that pretty quickly. when I So I DJed Nerdlesque Festival for two years, and I'm doing it again in 2017, which I'm very excited for. But in the 2016 playlist for the show, the beginning of the playlist was very heavy nerdcore rap and just nerdy songs. And then, like, towards the middle and end, I had the show tunes and some other stuff. And when the final act and the final of the final show, and they were kind of just doing a curtain call, the song My Shot came on from Hamilton while most of the performers were on stage. And we I got to... We went nuts. I went yeah, to, we went crazy. I got, we to Vic, I got to victoriously watch some of my favorite performers dance and enjoy themselves to my shot, which, and I love Hamilton, and so that was kind of a defining moment as a DJ yeah. for me. It was pretty great for that's all how, of us. Uh, I think, that's how I believe Baron Anatomy got into Hamilton, and then a week later he sent <laughs> a message being like, by the way, Hamilton's awesome. And the second act made me cry at the gym. <laughs> Fantastic. Of course it Cry and lift. Um, yeah, that show was actually where I met Baron Anatomy for the first time. That weekend I got to meet him and his yeah. partner. Oh, well, he Russell actually Swing. did that you know, emergency go go set. Emergency go go set. You know, someone yeah. dropped out because they were sick, and I turned to him and said, "You know, oh my gosh, um, do you want a go go? Do you want a go go? Are you wearing appropriate underwear?" He looked and he's like, "Oh well, these are see through, but I'll get some. I'll be back." <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. So I would say that we will probably do more theater themed uh, shows. Mm -hmm. I would actually like to do our Tennessee Williams show again. At yeah, some that point. was yeah. great. I can bring back my Southern gentleman accent. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, Mister. Jonathan Calvin Nigula will just step in, you know, the, the Southern pansexual gentleman. Uh, educate yes. you all about fine theater things. <laughs> we let him get away with a lot. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, but the thing is, I, I, I'm excited about the possibilities of, again, a more troop mentality, more theatrically inclined mentality of putting together shows and production and finding places for it in New York, whether it's bringing back some of our favorite ideas from uh, from the DC shows, getting to do ones we were we, we felt wouldn't play there, or just some of the crazier ones that we've talked about in the car that just um, are built on a pun and we might actually find an audience for around here. What do you mean? Keanudes? Keanudes? <laughs> the, <What? Keanu> <laughs> the old Keanu Reeves for <laughs> I mean, there was a Nicolas Cage blush show last year that was all Nicolas Cage, so I feel like a Keanudes show would, would work pretty easily. One of the advantages of being in a town where there is, let's be honest, a glut of productions, performances, and performers, you can get overly specific 
and still hit the broadside of a barn as far as an audience goes. It's true. You, I mean, there is still hazards and everything else. You can still get in an empty house, but it's not because you were too obscure. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I mean, just knowing some of the conversations I've personally had with Sarah and Mary about the stupid things in my head, <laughs> I want to see some of those shows come to fruition too, so I'm excited to have you guys in New York more. Um, and one of the driving forces for me wanting to have you guys all on the show was because I got so close to you last year at Nerd Less Fest, and I... I know how your brilliant minds work and how, how talented you are, and I wanted to share that with my audience because I think that's important. I do. Um, because there, I, I, I do, as, as Dick was saying, there is a glut of performers in this, in this town, and I've met wonderful performers from all over and have partnered with some amazing troops, but Sin Factory is something that I've always kind of watched from afar and seen photos and always wanted to be a participant as just as an audience member more and so i'm excited to have you guys in new york more as well i think it'll be really cool well if we do another oc you'll definitely have to come to that too yes for sure <laughs> yes it's a whole nother the partyingest show in new york it <laughs> really is as maybe as the world we have saved up the energy True. to survive an oc and not have to take a vacation afterwards to re- regenerate <sighs> yeah it took me a week last time Oh, yeah. I but think no, I, I was hungover for a week. I, I will never forget, and this is how it, I characterize OC in my head. You're like, yeah, it's great. You can dance in the bar, and there's a pole on there. And I was like, but I, I can't do any pole work. You're like, no, no, no. You just hold on it so you don't fall off while you're doing your stuff. I was yeah. like, that's genius. <laughs> it didn't and, always work. There were still a few people who fell off the bar. But... <laughs> You know, look, you, you helped them as much as you could. Yeah. You can't do everything. Um, I guess the last thing I want to ask is if you guys have anything to promote shows coming up, this uh, episode will go up the Tuesday after we are recording. And so if there are shows that you want to promote that are coming up in the next month or so, please feel free. Otherwise, um, do you guys have a Facebook for the Sin Factory? Do you have a website where people can find you? We do. We um, do. We do. We should use them sometime. <laughs> and we're going to. Yes. That's, see, this is why I'm we here. Will. We're going to. So Sin Factory has its own Facebook page, its own Twitter account. Uh, I believe we all have our own Facebook and Twitter accounts as well that you mm-hmm. can follow. Um, we also do have a website. Oh, and yes. Yes, and we have that a website. Have and you should sign up for a mailing list to yeah. learn all the things that we're going to do. We're totally going to activate that button that makes a mailing list happen. Because <laughs> we are awesome. going to do um, that. So yes, so Sin Factory itself doesn't have any concrete things coming up. But individually, I know I'm presenting an award at White Elephant's Silver Tusk Awards. And Dick is nominated for one. Two. Two, sorry. Oh, and <laughs> oh that, well, excuse and that, me. And that same night, in a different show, in a different place... Mary will be rocking BDS mmm for Galatea Stone Presents. <laughs> yes, I will be doing my spreader bar act, uh, and there will be some other amazing fetish acts that I can't wait to see because they're specifically not based on whips and chains. They're all weird stuff. Uh, yeah, Matt oh. Knife is bringing an act that is going to change change the way you view sexuality and <laughs> He-Man. Because it's based on he man. Well, I mean, I have to. I also have to say that um, when Dick was talking before about using your strengths as a performer or fueling yourself on your anxiety or your flaws or whatever else, I did have Matt Knife on this very show as well. And one of the things that started a conversation between Matt, and, me, and Matt Knife, and wanting to have him on the show is we both discussed how we're proud of having very hairy asses. 
<laughs> and it's one of those things that I assume Dick also shares with me. And I mean, Johnny also is very hairy, so I will assume the same. The men uh, are all celebrating around here for those uh, yeah. We're just uh, rubbing our body fur yeah. against each other. Matt, I wish you were here. <laughs> Silent Matt. high fives but, going on. But, but it was one of those things that I loved about the burlesque community, that people are so open about their successes and their flaws and are so humble that you can have that kind of a conversation. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know Matt had a hairy ass because I saw it several on several <laughs> occasions at several yes. shows. But he did not know I had one, and it was a bonding moment, and it made me feel better about it, even though I feel well enough about it as it is, because it is what it is. I'm not shaving my ass. Shave my chest once, never again. It itches like hell when it grows back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the worst. Um, but but I think that those kind of things are very important, and I think what I love about the four of you as performers, producers, uh, pr- stage managers, all the things that you do is you've always made me, and I think a lot of other both performers and patrons feel very welcome and comfortable. And I think that's really important in the industry, especially when not everybody does that. And it's not even a point of singling people out or calling out names because we all have flaws and we all make mistakes. But I think being friendly, kind, and welcoming, especially in 2017, is going to be so important. Yeah. And and it's the thing I love most about all four of you is that you've never made me feel uncomfortable, unwanted, or unwelcome. And I think that's really important in burlesque and just in general. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. I know, I think, at least for me personally, coming from the sphere of being an audience member and not only getting to meet my heroes, but getting to become really close friends with them and have them at my damn wedding. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh yeah, there are moments where I'm sitting across having lunch with Nasty Canasta and I go, in my brain, oh my god, I'm having lunch with Nasty Canasta. Oh my god, I'm having lunch with Nasty Canasta. It's so hard to be cool. Like, Charles Dunning and I once... We're with Nasty after a Sin Factory show, and we're just at the the jukebox, just putting in some '90s Nirvana because she asked for it. And then I looked at her, I'm like, "Oh my God, we're hanging out with Nasty." She's like, "I know, I know. Can we go back to the table?" He's like, "Yeah, we gotta be cool. Be cool, Johnny. Just deep breath. Just deep breath. Play more music that she asked for. Okay, okay. I think she's still Lexus." <laughs> yeah, and you know, coming from that sphere, it's really important. You know, we mm-hmm. remember people's names. We recognize people who've been at our shows. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember for me as an audience member. That was really amazing to come to a show that wasn't just, you know, go to the stage door and get an autograph Uh from somebody famous. It it was even the audience members, especially the audience members, are part of the community, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that's important also. Like, I've met celebrities who, even though there's no chance in hell, even though they've met me before, that they would remember me, they feign remembering me. Or maybe they actually do, but it's that moment of connection that you really appreciate. And I think burlesque is no different because the performers and even producers and hosts are are celebrities in their own right, especially in New York. And so uh, I I appreciate that from you guys and I appreciate that from the community in general. So well, yeah. you never stop um the especially when you do burlesque long enough, you, you kind of get into a thing where you will never stop being fans of people. You never right. stop yeah. fanning over people. And then you have moments of being fanned over. And it's this kind of interesting thing where it's like, okay, you can choose to just to separate those and forget about it and like ignore being fanned over or whatever else. But just remember that it's all a matter of perspective and it's all everything else. And so taking that little extra thing to, even if you don't remember the person's name, remember that you saw them like a few months ago yeah, and like even just try to reconnect or remembering their name or anything else. It's not a huge effort and it goes a long way because like you said, you know how it feels. And it's that sort of welcoming and that sort of community. You don't have to go on stage and wear sparkly things to be a part of the burlesque community. Although 
you don't have to go on stage to wear sparkly things also. I feel like that's very true as well. I don't wear very many sparkly things, but that may change in but the future. Can. I can't. We, we've all been cutting off Mary. What have you been trying Sorry. to say? <laughs> oh, God, I barely remember now. Um, uh, yeah, well, as a performer, um, I've always really enjoyed the connection between uh, the performer and the audience member. Um, I've always really been into theater that happens all around mm-hmm. you and creates like an experience that you're really a part of. Um, so doing original sin in a space that was not much bigger than this living room, (laughs) um, I would almost always have acts that started with me walking through the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, and the moment that always felt, I think the most gratifying was after the show when I could just feel everyone was really happy Mm -hmm. and just having a fantastic time. Um, Especially, like, in the last big recession, uh, that was kind of when OC really hit its stride and Mm -hmm. became, um, like, a a clubhouse for people Mm -hmm. because everyone needed it. They needed somewhere to have a cheap beer or a lot of cheap beers and just forget (laughs) what was going on outside. Um, And I loved that feeling of family and belonging, and I always want to recreate that. I mean, that's what brought me into burlesque was was finding a safe space when I was unemployed. Um, I, my early interactions were with Doc Wasabasco and, and Nasty Canasta, and I posted online, I have no job and I need something to do. And I think Doc made some joke about not being able to afford an assistant. I went, I'll do it for free, whatever you need, I'll do all the things. <laughs> Just give me and that's how our And that's how our friendship started. And from there, like, I, I, I was a door guy. I would help people sit. I would, you know, pick up glasses at the way station. Like, I just did these odd jobs until people realized, oh, you you have purpose and drive. Let's make you do other stuff. Yeah. Um, before Dick and I became performers, we won the D20 Burlesque Superfan Medal. Oh, nice. <laughs> Excellent. That's and a coveted award. It is. It is. Um, we, I, you know, went to maybe 11 out of the 12 shows that year and mm-hmm. just... Anya made a home for us mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of felt the same thing too at Epic Win and that's where yeah. I started working and that's how we met and all that but you know it's it's really important I think and uh, unfortunately you know we might need OC more than ever I mean it, the, yeah. com- the community it, the diversity in the community I think is what makes it engaging like there are people involved in the burlesque industry that I didn't meet in the industry that I met even outside it, like Nelson Lugo and Chef of the Dark Lord, I met as their other performances doing other shows. Mm-hmm. And then I went to an Epic Wind show and went, oh, these guys are here? Why are they here? And, you know, <laughs> figuring it out. Like, you know, and being, you know, I... I, I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like one of those things that, you know, I, uh, I get to engage with these people both on a level personally and professionally and I think I said it jokingly before but I think I pride myself on being able to get along with every producer that I've worked with and almost every producer in the industry is because I want to work and I want to work hard and right now that's all I do and that's what's made it easier things come up and people talk about stuff and I'm a good sounding board but I I just want to see this industry grow and get better yeah and I think that the more people who want to do that and see performers succeed and see a, a industry succeed is what, what we need, especially in 2017, I think more than anything, is yeah. for people to just work and improve and work hard and do their best and care for those around them. And so, again, that's, I think, why I wanted to bring you guys on, because you seem like a group of four who really care about each other and the environment you're in. 
And I think that's really stellar from a performance uh, place as well. And I think uh, something that we need more than ever. So I hope OC comes back because I've never actually seen OC. Um, my, my only knowledge of it initially was the Shape for the Dark Lord song is when I first heard about it. And uh-huh. then and then from there I was like, oh, this was a show that used to be. And like, and that's when I learned of the legend of Mary Sin <laughs> and so the on. The Mary Sin. Don't the forget. Mary Sin. And so I, I think I'm really excited to get to, see, you know, me doing DJ work for, for, for Burlesque has only grown because I've only met more people who've been great and wonderful and care about the art. And I want to see that continue to flourish, flourish both for myself and for the art of burlesque in general you know it's changed so much even over the last few years and i feel like it's just constantly evolving and changing yeah um do you guys before we wrap up have any hopes and dreams for burlesque as a whole things you'd love to see in the scene either that you create or that other people are working on that you're really excited about uh may i yes actually um this is uh also this is because i forgot this plug before my big hope right now is I'm doing my first solo act at the Slipper Room oh, for uh, Metropolis Burlesque's Rick and Morty Burplesque show, mm-hmm. uh, which I believe is Wednesday, January 18th. It's definitely the Wednesday of that week if I got the day wrong, the date wrong. <laughs> but uh, and I think that's my thing is I'm like, I'm just, oh God, I hope I'm good at the solo act. But I also realize as I'm dealing with more people coming forward, I think what I'm most excited about is really feeling about burlesque as a home and a safe space and a community going forward, especially because that's what attracted me with working with Sin Factory was Mary and Sarah worked really hard to build a warm, friendly, welcoming troupe where even when, even though Dick Move and I got a little competitive, uh, it was much, it's more of a, we spurred each other to newer heights yeah, rather it's, than... Well, it's yeah, more, it's more Rick, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, or uh, Batman Superman. Okay, that than, one I get. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like the Batman-Superman rivalry. Like, we're both making each other better by kind of being competitive, but we're still friends. You know, like the classic version. Well, now oh. I have to I have to ask, A, what act you're doing, because I love Rick and Morty. Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, So I pitched this idea thinking, okay, but you and I will tell me because this is insane. I'm going to be doing, based on one joke... The uh, the alternate universe Rick. That's the mashup of Rick and Prince, the scientist known as Rick. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be putting your track together tomorrow. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Like Matt and I just got the coat in the mail today, so he can build me a. I believe it's called a a jabot. Which the uh, best part is, man. As I told him, like you go put this on a business card. Matt Knife, I can make a jabot in an hour. <laughs> Asterix, and teach you what a jabot is. It's funny you bring up yeah. Metro, Metro, uh, Metropolis Burlesque because that's the sh- first show I ever kittened for, actually. Right, oh, right. You did right. the uh, yeah, Bojack I was, Horseman. I was Bojack Horseman. I was Todd. And I think one of the interesting things for me is I'm not someone who feels comfortable taking his clothes off. However, I am comfortable being a character, especially because I like cosplay. Mm-hmm. And so my wife told me after the fact that the reason that she thinks I would be successful in that space is because I spent the entire night being Todd. Like, being Todd. Like, I wasn't me being Todd. I was Todd. Um, And I got to actually have a wonderful moment for one of all of our, our, I assume, our favorite people. Um, uh, Heart Crimson was there, and and they were my Diane. And so, um, you know, it's just, you know, Again, the, the community nurtures you to try new things, and um, I felt comfortable being Todd on stage, who also, after that season had come out, had come out as, you know, uh, asexual. And so I didn't have to be sexual on stage. I could be the character, and, you know, I still drop my pants anyway because it's a burlesque show, but, you know. <laughs> solidarity. Solidarity. Yeah. Well, but 
you know, there's a difference, I think, between dropping your pants and trying to be sexy and taking your clothes off. I joke all the time that I feel like such an imposter because, like I said, I don't particularly find burlesque sexy. That's not a thing for me. So as I'm sitting here, you know, doing all these sexy moves or, you know, showing my butt to the audience to pick things up, I'm like, I'm fooling everybody. Look at me being, (laughs) air quotes, sexy. But, you know, you commit to it. Funny funny story about that is... um, Years ago, I was backstage with uh, Joe Weldon, a.k.a. Joe Boobs, who... The. Yeah, the, the Joe Boobs, um, who I think anyone who has ever seen her perform is like, that lady is sexy as fuck. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, she, she was a club stripper for God knows how long. Like, she's fucking hot as hell. Um but she said kind of the same thing. She's like, I always feel like I'm getting away with something when I'm turning somebody on. Like, ha ha, sucker, you think I'm sexy. <laughs> I'm like, what? Have you never seen yourself? We um, all have imposter syndrome. Yeah. That's everyone. just adulthood is you have um, imposter syndrome. This reminds everyone. me of Peter Aguero backstage at the Bardlesque show with me. I love Peter Aguero. He, so Pe- much. Peter Aguero. Love, 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 He's love. He's a future yes. guest of this podcast. He just oh, doesn't yeah. know it yet. <laughs> He's the once in future Aguero. I, it was one of my first, like, maybe probably in my first six kittening gigs that I'd ever done. And it was our second time doing Bardlesque. And I, I graduated from doing the sound to being on stage with you guys. <laughs> And um, Peter goes, you know, Sarah, I, I, I just don't take this the wrong way. I just, I thought, I, I just needed to tell you, you have the most fantastic ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I just looked at him very surprised because this is, you know, one of my first times kind of naked on stage being like, wait, what, really? I, I kind of thought my boobs were going to, I never really thought to look. Oh, thank you, Peter. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, it's just like Matt complimented my ass, not even having seen it outside of clothes. Uh, he gave you the best compliment. What was his compliment to you, Dick? Well, he, he said several things about my ass. Oh. Well, was it the one where I show my ass like a gay man? Yep, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, Buster Riches definitely mentioned when he was hosting the show you were kidding. <laughs> he had to make sure to tell the entire audience, I'm loving this. Because of dick moves, but <laughs> excellent. Um, thank you guys again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, know, you for having us. Thank it's, you. Been, it's been a pleasure. Um, I will, you know, as you start moving forward with stuff you're doing in the in the city, please let me know. I would love to spread the word and be involved in any way I can, even if it's just an audience member. So keep me posted on that. Um, the last thing I would ask you to do, which I've never asked four people to do, but we have a catchphrase on our site, which is music is life and life is good. And I would love the four of you to say it in any way you deem worthy to say it, whether it's all together, taking turns. Um, without rehearsal, I feel like maybe saying it all together is easier, but I will let you figure that out because it's part of the adventure. All right, three, two, one. Music, music is, is life and, and life is good. <laughs> I hope anyone could understand that. <laughs> If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.